On this edition of the Scott Radley Show podcast, we are talking about the Commonwealth Games bid, if it happens. We've talked, I've given you my opinion, if you listen to previous podcasts, we've heard from the guy who runs Commonwealth Games Canada, but what about the people, the local businessmen who are behind this? What is the advantage to Hamilton? Well, they're going to explain. So you have the facts before it comes to council this week. Also, Don Robertson stops in. We chat about the CFL. Should they reduce the number of Canadians? Apparently that's being bandied around. And what's with all the time off for Kawhi Leonard for this load management? Sounds like a load of something. Listen in. Today on the Scott Radley Show on 900 CHML. Last week we were chatting a couple times about something that's going to be coming up at Hamilton City Council this Wednesday evening. There will be a committee, there will be a, a, a delegation going in front of City Council making a pitch to at least begin exploring the possibility of this city hosting the 2030 Commonwealth Games. Now, there is a reason for the timing of this. Back in 1930, Hamilton hosted the very first Commonwealth Games. It was called the British Empire Games back then. Stadium was on the site of the stadium now. It was the old, well, before even Ivor Wynn Stadium, the old Civic Stadium, it was there. That's where it was held. Bobby Robinson, the former sports editor for The Spectator, He was the guy who started this, and athletes came from around the world to come here to Hamilton. So there is the centennial celebration aspect of this, and that has created some excitement. There is, however, also concern, and I fall, admittedly, I've told you this on the air, I fall into the concern category. I'm I'm needing convincing because I'm looking at the money that is involved in this, especially the money, not the sports part. I'd love the sports part, but I'm looking at the money saying, I don't know. I don't see how we can afford it in this city. However, I gave you my opinion last week. We also had on Brian McPherson, who was the CEO of Commonwealth Games Canada. He's able to look at this thing from a big picture, 30,000 foot perspective. I want to bring on two guys right now, two gentlemen who I have great respect for, two local businessmen who are working with this bid idea, this proposal, Ron Foxcroft and PJ Mercanti. Gentlemen, thanks for doing this today. Oh, thank you. Uh, Our pleasure, Scott. Ron, why don't I start with you? I had, as I said, I had Brian McPherson on here last week, who was the guy in charge of Commonwealth Canada, and I I listened and I understand clearly the passion that he has for these games and for this idea. Where does your passion for these games and this idea come from? Well, Scott, I've uh, spent my entire life in the business of sport, taken part in many international games, uh, Pan Ams, Olympics, uh, uh, Commonwealth, and so on. Uh, plus, I have a great love for the city, uh, my city of, of Hamilton, and uh, I can see the uh, the benefits. I can also see the concerns, and I can see the business case for these uh these Commonwealth Games, but I am really spirited in the opportunity to community build as a result of uh, these games. And Scott, if I may, and I know uh, the time is the enemy here, if I could just talk briefly about three things to to give you an idea where my support and endorsement comes from, and then uh, defer to PJ because he has uh a lot more information than i do about the funding model model but first of all uh scott number 1 the the big concern is the cost and i just want to address that i would not support these games if the business plan and the implementation did not result in a positive cash flow in in other words a profit 
Now, PJ will talk about the funding model because it's somewhat unique when it comes to Commonwealth Games Canada. And just to touch on that, 50% of the funding uh, comes from Sport Canada. But but I, I would tell you this, uh, Scott, I will not support these games if the business plan does shows a loss. It, it, it must show a profit. The second thing I, I want to talk about, Scott, in my life, I've seen Commonwealth Games transform a city, completely transform a city. And I'll just give you two examples. Manchester, England, uh, Edmonton, Alberta, and then the benefits of the uh, community build and and the, the return on the investment. One of the things, first of all, Scott, the most important thing for the games is the athlete's experience. First and foremost, our concern will be these athletes have to come out of these games with uh, a feeling that they have been treated exceptionally. The other thing, Scott, our city is in great need of legacy projects. For for example, we need a multi-sport complex. We need an Olympic pool. We need an arena. And um, we can't do that alone. The funding has to come from other upper levels of government. And and there's other community legacies, too. Uh, for example, Scott, um, if we got funding from upper levels of government, we could have extension to transit. We could have a new weather station like they did in, in, in Whistler. So that's the second thing. The third thing is the pride and the community build. I mean, this clearly, with the Grey Cup, with the with the, the the Canadian Open Golf Championship, this raises the level of pride in our community. Community build, community pride, and and my my feeling about this. This is a very unique uh, games. Uh, I know when I participated internationally, one of the problems has been communication particularly when I referee a game and, and both of us don't understand the same language. All the participants in the Commonwealth Games can communicate because the common language in the, uh, the games is English. And the final thing I, I, I want to talk about, are these games were founded in Hamilton and, and we were able to build civic stadium, which may have been a little before your time, Scott. A couple years. Because, yeah, just a couple years, and then it was renamed uh, uh, the Ivor Wynn, of course, uh, Ivor Wynn, just an uh, amazing person. But it was founded in Hamilton support to support health and wellness and in Hamilton. And, I, and, I, and the city invested back in 1930 $30,000 to pull this off. And I don't see any other option other than the games returning to their birthplace, which is Hamilton. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. Talking about the Commonwealth Games bid proposal, it's coming before council on Wednesday. Now, if you're saying I've heard this a couple times, yes, you have. I talked about it last week. 
We had the CEO of Commonwealth Games Canada who looks at the big picture, and I wanted to bring on some of the local folks, some of the local businessmen who are behind this to hear why they want to do it, why, what they think it can bring to the city of Hamilton. You heard from Ron Foxcroft before the break. PJ Mercanti of Carmen's Group is also involved in this, and he joins me now. And PJ, I, let me just go right to it, because to me, the question with this whole bid I love the sports idea. Ron talked about the, the legacy, and Ron talked about the pride of the city. It's a business thing, and, and I don't know that the city of Hamilton can afford the roughly $100 million price tag that I've been hearing about. How do we make this work? So one of the things that, uh, that is a bit of a myth to, to a lot of people is that games uh, are a boondoggle, that they're not profitable, and if you look at a lot of the successful games that have taken place, both at the Olympic level and at the Commonwealth level, you see that when there's a fiscal private sector business-minded approach and philosophy that's brought to the games from the outset, the probability of success is significantly higher. And so, so, so the Peter Uberoth model from the 84 Olympics as opposed to, say, Sochi. Absolutely. And if you, look at, if you look at Salt Lake City and L.A. and Vancouver and Calgary, two Canadian examples of Olympic Games, those were all profitable games. When we look at the Gold Coast that uh, the Commonwealth Games took place at uh, in 2018, there was a, a net economic positive impact of $1.5 billion uh, for those communities. And, and one of the things that we learned as part of the exploratory uh, uh, investigations that we've done is all of the um, revenues generated from the games stay with the local host community. So in the case of Pan Am, there was the better part of $200 million worth of sponsorship revenue, ticket revenue uh, that stayed with the municipality of Toronto. Uh, and so when you start to look at the, re- the, the fact that the revenue stays with the municipality, all of a sudden, the economics start to look far more favorable. Now, having the federal government support and provincial support is absolutely uh, you know, critical, and the federal government will provide a maximum amount of matching uh, funds for whatever the provincial and municipal levels are. But the great thing is, Scott, the revenue generated from the games stay with the host community, and that's a big, a big thing that a lot of people don't realize when they when they do the uh, the business modeling for games. Let me let me jump in with a question about that because we've heard this before. We've heard uh, you know with the Grey Cup that there's going to be X million dollars that are going to be spin-offs here and that kind of thing. And and it, it, even if we go with that and I will give you that one. I'll say okay, let's say the the Commonwealth Games was to bring in 2 billion dollars of of spin-offs. I don't know if that's a fair number or not. Sure. Um, that's money that stays in the local economy and goes to the businesses and hotels and restaurants and stores and everyone else. But the hundred million, give or take, that the city is on the hook to pay, that still remains tax dollars that we have to find somewhere. So it's two different pots of money, I guess, is what I'm saying. For sure. And think about all of the all of the games revenue that comes in. So that could very well, in a good model, and again, I'm we haven't gone down the road of, of, of preparing a business plan. You know, obviously we, we need to, you know, speak before council on Wednesday. But in our financial exercises, we're going to try to figure out a way to have the revenues generated from the games to essentially offset the municipal share. So that's that's required for the games. So this is where it all becomes a, a financial modeling exercise. And uh, and if we are aggressive in 
and getting a head start on driving sponsorship revenue, driving ticket sale revenue, getting creative and looking at naming rights revenue opportunities. And, and a big thing that, that has not yet been explored in previous Commonwealth Games uh, revenue models are broadcasting rights. And when you look at some of the sports that the Commonwealth Games uh, you know, pr- produces and puts on, sports like cricket can have tremendous broadcast rights across the Commonwealth nations. And so this is where we want to take a real, you know, pr- you know, fiscally responsible approach, a creative approach to making this work for Hamilton. Because at the end of the day, Scott, the reality is we've got aging facilities that desperately need repair and or replacement. And this is one way of leveraging potentially up to 80, maybe even 90 percent, uh, you know, senior levels of government funding to, to assist us with that. So we're going to be ba- we're going to be potentially bearing 100 percent of those of those costs. But if we're if we're creative in pursuing this avenue, it could dramatically reduce that bill. Um, and so so we're looking at that. And we're also looking at the legacy opportunity and impact. I envision that if we host a successful games, that Hamilton could become a sport tourism destination for a generation. I envision tournaments in Hamilton, 52 weeks of the year, filling up our hotels, filling up our restaurants, uh, and, and with a ton of other spin-off activities. So I see this as being a, 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 a platform for further economic development in the, in the community and not just uh, about the games themselves. This is about the legacy that they can create, uh, and, and I honestly believe they could be transformative to Hamilton. And I think it's, it's you know, it's, it would be ir- irresponsible as a community for us not to look at this. And this is where we, wanna, we want to create a business plan, make sure it's impactful, make sure there's a positive financial benefit for the city, and, and go through an exercise to define what does a bullseye look like for Hamilton? What does a win, a big win, look like for us? And then work backwards to get to that win. That is PJ Mercanti. That is Ron Foxcroft. Uh, gentlemen, I appreciate you taking the time and sharing this today. We, you know, we want to get all the sides out here because I know it's a big, big decision that's going to be coming up for council whether to start doing this. I appreciate you, uh, you sharing your side of it. Thanks for doing this. Thanks for the opportunity, Scott. It is. Uh, you've now heard. If you've been here every night, you've now heard both sides clearly. Comes up at council on Wednesday. You should be the most educated and most familiar people with this of anyone in the city. Now you make up your mind. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. Let me bring in Don Robertson, who is here every Monday night at this time. Sir, thanks for coming in. Scott, there's nowhere else I'd rather be right now. Well, I don't believe that. You were saying on the way in you'd like to be in shorts and a t-shirt. So, you know, you wouldn't mind being in California or Hawaii. Or Any, anywhere warm would be fine. But I said I was looking forward to walking in here with shorts and a t-shirt. And I'm humbled to be here this hour after following a sports legend like Ron Foxcroft. My goodness, the stuff that man's done for our community and uh, the places he's been and, and, a, and a business leader like um, P.J. Mercani. Uh, as as you know, I'm contracted to listen to your show prior to coming on, and uh, <laughs> interesting takes on the Commonwealth Games. I, you know, if you want to talk about it some night, I got my own take on it. But it's nice to be here. So I agree with everything you've said about Ron Foxcroft and PJ Mercanti. But are, are, do you have a business deal working with them that you have to say, <laughs> say such nice things? No, I agree no. with everything you said. You, I just, you know, I'm not a nice guy. <laughs> well, true enough. <laughs> Uh, a lot of stuff I want to talk about in the world of sports. 
uh, for the next little while. And let's start with this one because th- this story came on the weekend. It was on um, Three Down Nation, which is a website about uh, mm-hmm. the CFL. And it, to me, it is one of these stra- maybe predictable to some degree, but one of the strangest stories. The CFL exists, Don, in my mind, largely because it is unique. If the CFL was just NFL light, it would have been gone long ago. So many football leagues have gone the way of the Dodo already because they are just like the NFL, but not as good as the NFL. And people quickly realize that the CFL is different. Three downs and the Rouge and 110 yards and Canadian players. And the story that came out on the weekend is the CFL and its players association are in negotiations right now for a new collective agreement. The story as per three down nation both the CFL and CFLPA are in favor of reducing the number of national, so Canadian, starters from seven to five after the issue was raised during recent labor negotiations in Toronto per sources. Seems to me this is about the dumbest thing you could do with this league. Well, they've tried lots of dumb things. They have tried lots of dumb things. So, but trying to whittle down the Canadian content of the Canadian Football League seems well, incredibly stupid. Do they plan on, and I read it, um, perhaps not as thoroughly as you, because I'm on Twitter all the time now, reading, and is it, are they going to reduce the number of Canadians on the roster or reduce the starters? Starters. So they're not eliminating any Canadian jobs. They're just going to increase oh, no, the no, bench it, warmers. No, no, it would eliminate Canadian jobs because if you have fewer starters that you need, you can fill more positions with Americans. You would have a, a need for fewer, or actually not even necessarily Americans because the idea here, remember in the last few months, Randy Ambrosi, the commissioner of the CFL, has been traveling the world, going to Germany and Austria and Sweden and Denmark and France and wherever else in Mexico making deals with all these football associations there. Mm -hmm. And it seems as though the idea here is that we're going to somehow find a place to put internationals, so not Americans and not Canadians, maybe get some more internationals onto the rosters. We're going to generate interest in Mexico with this league. So we'll take a little Canadian away and we'll put a little Mexican in there or put a little Australian or Austrian or German or whatever. Well, let me go back to the starters. I want to go from seven to five. Yes. Um, presumably all the Americans are starters. You shouldn't have a whole lot of Americans that are backups at anything. Oh, no, for sure there are. For sure there are. Okay. So I don't know what the rationale would be other than the fact that if they're planning on putting a team in the East Coast, there would, the rationale might be that there'll be just as many Canadians playing in the CFL as there are spread out as there are right now. But in a search to make the football, the caliber of football better, presumably, if the more Americans you have, the better the quality. If your rationale that the CFL and the NFL don't stack up caliber-wise, and there's a lot of evidence to suggest that. So I don't know what the rationale is. Ambrosia is a Canadian? Yep. Well, well his, his plan clearly is that he's trying to, I don't, I, I get no sense, and I don't think anyone else has suggested this. I don't think he's trying to replicate the mistake of expanding to the United States. I don't think he's, there, I've heard no talk about putting a team in the States, but he's trying to 
so broaden this, the world market by bringing. So if we're not going to go to the states, we're going to bring players from other countries okay. in and hopefully generate interest, broadcast rights, streaming rights, merchandise, whatever that way. So you know my theory on all this stuff. Every time it, it, you got to look at the money. So he he the rationale if this is uh, feasible. I'm surprised that the player association are on board with having that conversation, but um, if they dispute it. Technically, now if you read, they, the Players Association sent out a tweet at which point they dispute it, but they don't really dispute the spirit of what was said, just that we've not had any, we've not reached any agreements or something like It's one of those Bill Clinton-esque part, you have to check every word to see what he's actually so, saying. So part of the concept, uh, because there are negotiations right now for a new deal, right? Yes. So if you're negotiating a deal, which I'm not good at much, but that I'm not bad at, which is why you want me to sell your house for you. But if, 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 if in fact, that's your rationale, so you shoot that out, and then as a concession, you leave the number of Canadians at seven, and you, and you gain other things for it. Is, it. is it, in fact, part of the negotiation, and or is it, does it back my theory that everybody's always worried about the income and the money? And if, in fact, that the CFL think that if they have um, two Germans on every team. Is there a market to be able to sell some broadcasting rights, or which this this sounds a little loony? Would they think that there would be more Germans or Mexicans be attracted to the CFL game? Well, that's what I think. That's what I think they're doing. And by the way, for the record, the board, for anyone listening, Don's not actually selling my house. No. Just to be clear, <laughs> I think he said you. But uh, according to this story on um, Three Down Nation, nobody else better be either. Uh, no, the house is not for sale. Excluding quarterbacks, according to the story, athletes from the United States earned approximately 93000 and Canadians 80000 So Canadians are making less than Americans in well, the CFL. If for no other reason, look at the quarterbacks. But, but that's excluding the quarterbacks, it says. So, but what well, you've got here a lot of times is that many of the skill players are Americans. Running backs, receivers, and so on. And many of the linemen are Canadians, the, mm-hmm. the grunts. And so they're not as a sexy a position, so you don't have to pay them as much. Pay them as much, I guess. But the point would be, though, if on average you're paying Canadians less, you would think if you're the league, you would like to have more Canadians. Yeah, but they're not going to increase the salary cap because it's going to spread the money around different. I understand that, but it would yes, it'll spread it around differently. But you would presumably, if be able to, I don't know, get some more. There's a minimum. I'm sure a bunch of Canadians are playing for the minimum. I mean, the, the, the CFL is like the National Hockey League used to be when um, Bobby Hull and Gordy Howe were stars. They didn't work in the summertime, but all kinds of guys. Uh, our, yep. our, our good friend Harry Howell that we talked about last week may well have had a part-time job in the summertime. And CFL players are akin to that. A lot of them have other jobs that they do, and they play in the CFL. Because they like the fame, because they like the game, they like the way they're treated, but they, they they don't make enough of a living, and they certainly don't have a great pension playing in the CFL. You play 10 years in the CFL at $65,000 a year, you're not retiring in Monaco. Probably not. Unless you're living in a phone booth. Yeah, well, I, look, it, it it just seems to me that the one thing that Canadian the Canadian Football League has, other than the couple rule changes, a few rule changes is Canadian players, which bolsters the Canadian game, which keeps the Canadian university system going, which does an awful lot of things. You start to whittle it down, 
and you wait and see what positions those are that, let's say we knock it down. Well, now we're going to get rid of a few more skill players. So we're just going to have guys on the line and some field goal kickers, maybe a punter. All right, so Toronto can't draw enough people to have a game of bridge most nights. Nope. Uh, Montreal's struggling. And I I was at Labor Day game this year, and there were a lot of seats that didn't have people in them. Uh, that's a Labor Day game. So who knows if it's coming from ownership. Maybe the caliber of football has to be better. Maybe the fans are saying... We love the CFL, but there's not enough people that love it. And the, the product is the detachment and the separation from the CFL and the CFL is the NFL and the CFL is far too great. And unless we pick up our bootstraps a little bit, we're going to be in trouble. I mean, if you want to be an all-Canadian league, it would be interesting if you had a CFL with only Canadian players. That would be interesting. I don't know how that would work. Um and the reason I say that is because it would essentially be an all-star U-sports game for the most part. Well, there, there, I mean, there'd there, be some guys that play in the NCAA who come back. I was going to say there's NCAA guys that, uh, that could come back and play in the league, but how are they going to draw then? I mean, if you want to be all Canadiana, then we know that won't work. It'd be interesting, and I don't know the history of it well enough, although... I love when Garney Hanley played and Chuck E. Lee played and Angelo Moscow, and I'm telling you how old I am. But I wonder what the split was then. Has it has the split been regressive in the last 40 years on the number of Canadians versus uh, non-Canadians or internationals or basically Americans? So when the American expansion teams folded, so back in the 90s when you had the Memphis... Who had no restriction on Canadian players, right? The Birmingham Barracudas and all that. Uh, they were all American. Yep. The American teams were all American. The um, the number of Canadian starters dropped then from 10 to 7. So it had been 10. I'll bet you when uh, Angelo Moscow played, when John Barrow was the star with the Hamilton Ticats... Mm-hmm. I'll bet you the split was close to 50-50. I bet it was. And Russ Jackson? I bet it was. Got a Russ Jackson story when we got time. We will get to it in just one second. I, I simply look at this and I think you're starting to carve away at what, even if the Canadian player is only 80% of the American player's skill level, there's got to be something Canadian in the Canadian Football League, or it's just the Football League. They call it TFL. It's the, just the football league, and there has to, to me, there has to be a Canadian. I should drink before these yeah. shows. There, there has to be a Canadian quotient in this. There just does, and, and a reasonable one. So if you're down to five starters, is that offense and defense or all round? I believe that's all round. I'd have to double check that. You're I've, almost I've, to the football league now. I've, I've forgotten. To be honest with you, I, I, I would like to say for sure, but I'm not positive on that one, and I should know this. And a lot of guys don't go both, well, nobody goes no. both ways anymore. No. They had, one, they had one in Saskatchewan, Deron Carter, who, but he wasn't really playing both directions. He was just, they put him on defense for one game, and then defense for another, and then offense, but he wasn't, it wasn't the guy playing both in the same game anymore. You thought both going uh, different directions is better than going both ways? No. Just in case someone just tuned in and they're wondering <laughs> what kind of show this is. Uh, what was your Russ Jackson story, by the way? So 
my wife Suze works for a pharmaceutical company, uh, Bowring Ingelheim, and she went out on the road with a sales rep last week. Texts me and says, "Do you know who Russ Jackson is?" I said, "Yes." Familiar. <laughs> I said, "I'm familiar with him." Uh, He's getting a football field named after him in Hamilton, went to Westdale, and is arguably the, uh, not by me, but some might argue, that uh, Canada's greatest homegrown football player ever. Uh, Certainly quarterback. You could, yeah, maybe all around. Oh, um, Sue spent the day with his daughter in Toronto. Oh. So do I know him? Yes, I heard of him. I know who he is and gave her all kinds of information. So... And and uh, she was so humble when she was telling him, telling her that. I said that uh, that makes sense to me. Well, he's, he's not a, like Russ. He's not a grandiose guy. He just okay, right? It, like Harry Howell, it is what it is. We just happen to be good at what we did. Yep. Uh, I suspect that if they had five starters that were Canadians back when Russ Jackson was playing, he would have still made the team. But you want to know something? I'm not. With the way that the league has gone where they don't seem to love the idea of giving chances to Canadian quarterbacks who have played in Canada, if you're going to be a Canadian quarterback that's going to play in this league, you almost have had to have come up through the NCAA. They don't want to seemingly give much of a look to the guys who were youth sports or America or Canadian college players and give them the time to develop. There's they heck just, Creighton Award winners at quarterback that never got much of a sniff. The last Canadian quarterback... Since Russ Jackson, and this will be easy to shoot holes in, that I can remember, you can't shoot holes in that, is Jared Attilio, who played for the Montreal Alouettes. Well, there's Brandon Bridge, who plays for Saskatchewan, who's playing. But again, he's a U.S. college guy that, he was a Canadian, went down to U.S. college. The last Canadian university quarterback that's played in the CFL with any regularity, there was a kid, and I'm drawing a blank on his name, who played for Calgary, who went to Calgary that was just before he was about 2010 he was at Calgary I can't remember his name now I'm drawing a blank and but all he really ever played was like third down sneaks so he wasn't there was no Rush Jackson no 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 he was he was behind well, Bo gonna, Levi Mitchell and so you never got to play nobody's going to be but but I don't if Rush Jackson was coming up today and was coming out of McMaster University look at look at Kyle Quinlan Kyle Quinlan got signed by Montreal and never got much of a look at all. He will tell you, Kyle will, that, and I wrote about this at the time, that he never felt like they were really giving him much of a shot. They put him in there without ever really thinking that he was going to be anything, but it was just, well, let's take a flyer on the kid. But I don't, I don't know if Russ would get a good look these days. I really don't. And that's partially why... I hate this idea. The fewer starters you have that are Canadian, the more likely that some Canadian guy that could play, given the time to develop, will be squeezed out of a position. We'll see. I I expect that probably more than anything, this was a trial balloon they were throwing out there to see what the public response would be, and most of the public has been pretty negative from what I've heard to it. It will have as much to do with negotiating a new contract as it does the reality of it, my guess is. I suspect that they threw it out there to see what the feedback would be, if any. Maybe both. I don't know which side put it out there, or both, and to see whether they could use it as leverage or not. And I suspect it'll probably go away and they'll be back to seven next year. But we'll see. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. Don, the Raptors are playing tonight. Toronto Raptors. 
pretty good basketball team this year. But once again tonight, they are not playing with Kawhi Leonard in the lineup because he is out again for what they're calling and what they've been calling all year load management. Maintenance. Maintenance. Day off. I call it a load of management. I, I mean, to me, the whole thing is a load. To me, if you are being paid 25, 26, 27 million dollars, okay, you know what? We'll take, we'll, we'll miss a day of practice here or there. You don't miss the games. And, and I, I, frankly, I've, I've actually gotten to the point where as a, as someone who knows enough people who are fans, I'm offended for them that you pay your ticket, you buy your ticket at the start of the year, you buy a ticket to go see the Knicks play, and you think, oh, this will be a good game. I'll get to see Kawhi Leonard, and he's out for load management. Not injured, not sick, not hobbling, just having a day off. This this seems outrageous to me for a guy being paid the kind of money he is. Give him two or three days off practice and have him play the game. For fans, for the league, for the everything else, that's a way better idea. I don't get this. I don't get this at all. I thought about this today, oddly enough. Um, I didn't know he was sitting out. Um, sit John Traveris out for a maintenance day and see how that goes. So the rationale behind it, though, might be he... Missed all or almost all of last year due to injury. And the Raptors have been at the top echelon for two or three years and have not fared well in the playoffs. And if you want your best players to be the best players in the playoffs, then maybe it's a rational decision to sit him out, let him rest, so that we can win an NBA championship because Kawhi Leonard may in fact be a one-off this year. They knew that when they brought him in. But if they are doing it to uh, kowtow to Kawhi Leonard, hoping that they can re-sign him next year, showing we'll, we'll how, good, yeah. how good they are to their people, let me ask you how it worked out when you flew Vince Carter to his graduation in Carolina the day before a playoff game to suck up to him. How'd that work out for the Toronto Raptors? I don't think these guys care that much about it, and I think the Raptors, if that's the rationale, may in fact have it wrong. And if he walks at the end of the year, the fans will be outraged that you kowtowed to this guy for maintenance days, let him rest, blah, blah, blah. The only out for the Toronto Raptors in this scenario is to win an NBA championship. Well... I mean, he's missed. This is his. This will be his twentieth maintenance day game. Out of this will be their the team's fifty second game. No, that's wrong. Uh, no, he's played fifty one. This will be their seventy first game, something like that. Anyway, he's missed twenty games after tonight of their season out of 70. He's about a th- almost closing in on a third of the games. So if if they play 80, it'll be about a quarter. It'll be a little over a quarter because I don't expect him to miss too many more down the stretch now. So it's 25% of the games and they're paying him 12.16 gazillion dollars. Something like that. So But why he's his per game salary based on how they're managing him is even more obscene than the amount he's supposed to make anyways. He's a it's good player. Nuts. 
But if you've got a guy who needs time off, why is it games you're giving him off as opposed to practices? Because well, you want to know the story? The, and you know this as well as anyone. In hockey, yes, there's body checking in games, so you can get hurt that way. But you, you skate a lot more. You work a lot harder in practice. It's a, it's, a, it's a greater stress on your body in practice because you're trying to prepare yourself for a game. You're practicing harder than you're playing. You give him two days off in practice and say, Kawhi, just stay at home, stay in bed, watch Netflix, catch up on Coronation Street, do whatever you're going to do. These guys have a lot of shoot-arounds. Nobody's hurting themselves at practice. No, but even if you just say stay off your feet, literally, just don't even come in today. Yeah, don't just, come to the building. Just take a rest, sleep in. What, but when you have fans who are paying hundreds of dollars and fans who are not making Kawhi Leonard money, fans who yeah. are making enough money that maybe once a year, maybe they can get their hands on tickets and it's an expensive night out and you go to see him play and he's not playing because he's on load management. Honestly, I would be telling the rap, I would be going to the MLSE and saying, I'd like a refund, please. This is not... And I know they would never give it, and they say, well, it's like going to a play and the understudy is in the... But the understudy only participates when the leading performer is sick. Did you see the signs in Edmonton within the last 10 days because Connor McDavid missed a game because of the flu? I drove five hours to watch Connor McDavid play, and he's not playing tonight. His last that year of junior... volumes. Don, his last year of junior... He was coming to Niagara to play against the Ice Dogs, and I bought tickets for my son and I to watch him play. And the game before, he got into a fight. Remember, and he punched the boards by accident. He punched the corner boards and broke his hand. And we went to the game, and Connor McDavid wasn't playing. That's the one reason we went to see that game. Yeah. But that is because he injured himself. But that's different. He was sick in Edmonton, and he was injured. You're right. They're just giving him maintenance days off. I'm sure they're not selling season tickets and saying, but in first... Are they at home tonight? Yep. I would, and I I don't think they're going to ask me to run the Raptors. The last place I'd sit them out is at home. Sit them out on the road. If you think you have to sit them out, sit them out in Detroit. The hell are you playing them in Detroit for? Who cares about Detroit? I agree with everything you're saying. I, I, I see this as being insulting to the fans of your team. Well, that's what I mean. It is insulting to the fans of your team that are paying this kind of money and unless it goes back to your point, and I don't think you're wrong, that you are trying to suck up to the guy, and if you sit him out in Detroit, where he has a national TV audience, he might be upset. If you sit him out in Toronto, and then the folks down in the States that are all of his family and stuff, well, who cares? Yeah. And I don't know if that's the case. I would love to believe that's not the case. It didn't work last time. I hope it works this time for Well, it didn't work every other time. Tracy McGrady left, and Chris Bosh left, and Vince Carter left, and Damon Stoudemire left. Pick your guy. They've all left. DeMar DeRozan left, not by his own choice. He was traded. He wanted to stay. He wanted to stay. That was the one. Hey, the one exception was the guy who really wants to stay is the guy you ship out I want to play in Toronto no matter what happens. Sorry. Okay, you're gone. (laughs) See you later, son. (laughs) I I just, uh, this one, I, I almost think that it's at the point where the league needs to be involved in something like this because they're not they're not the only ones there are other players now load management has become this it was pat quinn hamilton's own pat quinn who started the upper body lower body injury thing that was his gift to hockey among others that when someone got an injury it was pat quinn ago he has an upper body injury and now everybody that's all they talk you know no one says well he's got a sore wrist he's got an upper body injury unless his arm is hanging down then he's got a lower body injury but this is now the raptors gift to the nba 
load maintenance. You should though, should you not? If you are, if you're a team that, if you've decided that this is what you're going to do, if you've somehow come to the conclusion that you have to do this, should you not then in, for your good conscience, when people walk in the door, you hand them a gift certificate for two free beers at the, I mean, at the very least or something, since our star isn't playing here on us, have a couple beers, have a glass of wine, whatever. You got to do something for the fans. Or cut the price back to 25 bucks for a beer. Yeah. Well, give them a discount. <laughs> back to 25 bucks. Yeah. Well, they were going to say cut the ticket price back. They're never giving a refund on tickets. So back to the money. What do you think the sponsors are saying? Um, like the fans are uh, the, the, the heartbeat of any franchise, right? Without people, nothing matters and they're sold out all the time. But do you think the sponsors don't care? Do you think the guys that are uh, sponsoring the, the Raptors game tonight, whether it's uh, a beer company or uh, a bank, do you think it doesn't affect ratings? I would think it would. I don't know. I don't, does Kawhi Leonard drive ratings? I don't know. I don't know. I think, I think the success of the Raptors drives ratings, and I think Kawhi Leonard drives the success of the Raptors. And the more success they have, the more interested people are going to be to spend money. So you've got, I would think, um, the sponsors saying, so, okay, you've got a national TV gig here in Detroit last night. But you know what? We didn't sponsor in Detroit. We sponsored tonight at home. Yeah. Uh, so at the very you, you least, a lot of people asking questions. At the very least, I keep saying that, I keep coming up with things they should be doing. I mean, whether it's a gift certificate for something at the concessions, at the very least, if the guy's not going to play, stick him up on the concourse at a table and say, you're going to sign autographs for the first half and good, take pictures with people. Good for you to think that would happen. I, I, Don, I, I know it's not. <laughs> I'm not actually believing. I'm saying this I, is the stuff. It, this yeah. is the stuff, the kind of thing they should be doing. Have have him go. This doesn't do anything for the average fan. Have him go to the from private box to private box and just take a picture with the people there during the game. Uh, and you know what? The Toronto Maple Leafs do an awful lot of that. I mean, I know Rick Vibe was doing it and, and, and uh, Wendell Clark does it. I don't think the Raptors do that, uh, mostly probably because the Raptors don't retire around here, but the Leafs at least get that done. But you're right. What about guys sitting out? Why don't they mingle with the sponsors? I think the sponsors would be pissed along with the fans. Like, you got a lot of people to keep happy, and you're sitting a guy out 25% of the games. Again, I go back to I'd set them out at least on the road. The only – the two positions in, in sports – that I would say it's an acceptable maneuver to give them days off, even if they're not injured, are goalies in hockey and catchers in baseball. Yep. And catchers in baseball may play six games out of seven in the week. So you get a day off. And goalies in hockey, if you want to see a particular guy and you're really interested in seeing that guy play, you don't go to the second half of a back-to-back and you know that probably you're still going to see the guy you want to see. But at least you know what games ahead of time you can guess you're probably going to see him or not see him. This thing is just whatever, whatever. And, you know, maybe maybe we're, maybe we don't know. Maybe the Raptors team doctors have said, oh, he's got this lingering thing, and if he plays, then say that. Then say he... It's not a maintenance day. It's not a load management. He's got a lingering thing that we're treating. And then I think fans would be, if it's true, fans would be, okay, all right, I get it. You can't have him 
heard all the time. But to charge full ticket price and then by your choice, for no good reason, you decide you're not going to have the guy play, to me, that's cheating the fans. That's cheating the fans, especially with the ticket. We're not talking about a $5 ticket here. Does he dress? Oh, oh uh, I don't know. I don't know. Sometimes he may. Sometimes he'll be sitting on the bench in street clothes. I don't know. Good gig. Anyway, it's a great gig. I want to get that gig. I want load management. <laughs> I want load management, and I want to I want to do the show only three days a week, and I want $25 million for the days that I'm in here. And if I don't get that, I'm going to L.A. to sign with a radio station in L.A. Get the Tonight Show. Johnny Carson pulled it off. Yeah. I don't know that I quite have the leverage. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. Don Robertson in studio. Usually as a hockey season or as any sports season goes along, you become better as a team. Why do the Leafs all of a sudden stink so horribly? They were a really, really good team and now they look awful. They look awful. Their goalie has forgotten how to stop pucks. Their defense can't play defense. Their forwards don't look anywhere close to interested until it's desperation time in the third period. What's going on? Well, they hate Jake Gardner like they did Larry Murphy. They don't want him around, but now they can't play without him. So all teams go through this. Seemingly they get brain camp cramps and can't win an inter-squad game. The other thing that's going on is a lot of the the uh, downtrodden teams, Chicago, a lot of the teams that were out of it, Phoenix, Chicago, Philadelphia are, are clamoring away. So all those teams are geared up. The Leafs don't seem to be geared up enough to get ahead of Boston to get home ice advantage for it seemingly to matter. Um, but they looked but, so disinterested even, not even geared up, just the opposite. They looked completely uninterested. So Chicago, Philadelphia, and Philadelphia, that was an ugly win, but they won it. Chicago, Philadelphia, and uh, Ottawa all have new coaches that would like to be permanently employed in the National Hockey League. You think that win by Ottawa with Mark Crawford at the helm, who in the early 90s was coaching the St. John's Maple Leafs for them, on the national stage wasn't a big deal. I don't know what Crow did to wind him up. He's a great guy, I know him. And uh, but those are big games for those guys, and it happens a lot at the end of the year when you think these are gimmies. So these, it's it's foolhardy to take a look at the schedule and say, all right, Toronto should be able to beat Chicago, Ottawa, and start mapping out the victories to get them ahead of Boston because Boston's playing these other teams that are far better than the Ottawa's and Chicago's because you don't know at the end of the year because there's so many guys fighting for jobs, up on auditions from the American League. But those teams, I I get you, and you're right. Those teams are auditioning for stuff, but it doesn't explain why the Leafs aren't showing up. The other teams, I understand why they're showing up, but they should It's complacency, though. Well, And I'll tell you, they're better off doing it now than the playoffs. But they have something to play for. So when you say complacency, and again, I agree with you, but it's not like they are stuck in their spot and they can't go up and can't go down. They could get home ice advantage if they come out and they play well. If they've beaten Ottawa, they're right there. They're I, a game away. I think I think the uh, the uh, the goal that they needed and has now gone by is how can we 
advance ourselves so we don't have to play Chicago. The fact is they're Chicago or Boston. Boston. They're in that rut now. They're playing Boston no matter what. But if they could have got away from Boston and played a lesser light team, the motivation would have been that much greater. Obviously, that the motivation to have home ice advantage isn't enough to motivate them to, if I said motivate enough, uh, inspire them enough to overcome that. They don't seem to care. But if they, okay, so. They look like hell. They're but awful. If, if they go to, if when they play Boston, because we know they're going to, when they play Boston, if they have to play game seven in Boston and lose, you will be able to look back on this week and say, Ottawa was a team, if you look at talent, they should have crushed Ottawa. You give away home ice advantage and then you lose in Boston. It's your own darn fault. Yeah, the biggest thing with home ice advantage uh, nowadays is not so much the fans and it's not so much the buildings because... It's the know, last change. It's the last change. You it's, can match it's, up. It's a coaching it's And a especially coaching when, you have, advantage. when you have Boston that has one line that just tears you apart, that yeah. you don't, that you want to be able to match the, that up. Yeah, they don't want anybody to play against those guys. No, but you can at least have a choice of who you think gives yep. you your best shot. You, Which would probably be Kadri, but yeah, you're, if you're you right. If you lose to Boston in Game 7 in Boston, you will look back on this week and say, this was the week you, you basically said, we don't care about that home ice, and then it came back to bite you. I I just don't understand it. I, I, I mean, I know it's a very long season, but I would have thought that if you were going to have a lull, it's in January, it's maybe in December when you're right in the middle of the season. You are now in that fight to try and get that home ice advantage. You're heading towards the final couple of weeks of the season, and now you suddenly look like you couldn't care less. Yeah, it's, that, it's It's very odd. They're in Nashville tonight? Tomorrow night. Tomorrow night? That won't be a walk in the park either. No, they. I expect that they'll be down 6 nothing in the first period, based on the last week. They'll... They will have no hope. Nashville's a very good team. They've been playing bad teams and been getting scorched. You might be optimistic. Nashville, yeah, who knows? Who knows what they might do? The scoreboard might actually light on fire. <laughs> hey, do we have 10 seconds? 10 seconds. What a great accomplishment. An 18-year-old young lady wins a tennis championship and not a not one in Hamilton. It was a big deal. Absolutely. Uh, huge, and, and she's she's got an unbelievable year happening right now and, and could be in the top ten very easily she's by the end of the year. two matches this year. Yeah, I've made more typos and more misspeaks today on this show than she's lost matches. That's not uncommon. Don Robertson, thanks for doing this. Appreciate it, as always. Good, thank you. The Scott Radley Show. Weekday evenings from 6 to 8 on 900 CHML. The Scott Radley Show podcast is available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, and wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Scott Radley. Thanks again for listening, and do not forget to subscribe to this podcast. It is free. You will never miss an episode. And also, be sure you rate us and review us. Whatever you think of us, we'll take it. Thanks for listening.